Awesome to see you all this morning. It's wonderful to hear your voices of peace be to one another. Awesome to hear your voices singing. One of the things I thoroughly enjoy in gathering is to keep my mouth shut. I know that might be a surprise to some of you. And to open my ears wide and just allow God's people their song of thanksgiving to uh, well up in my, my soul. Greetings, it's good to see you this morning. Those of you who are new, um, you should have received a bulletin. I didn't bring one up, but it looks like a bulletin. And um, in it, you'll see a connect card. And so I just ask you to write out some pertinent information, information that would help us to pray for you and to follow up with you. You can tear that off and put it in the bucket that's in the back of our gathering. You can put it in the black box that's out by the bananas. You can give it to me after service, and we will uh, happily um, um, bring those together and uh, pray over you and then reach out to you. If you don't have a Bible, um, please uh, take one of the Bibles that we offer. It's an ESV. It's a great Bible. And if you don't have one at home, that's our gift to you. Um, It will be right in the middle of the Bible that our passage for today is will be found. I don't know the number of that, but it's uh, Psalm 118, uh, essentially right in the middle. Actually, 117, I believe, is right in the middle. It's interesting. So if you just open up the book and find it on page 294, um, you will find our passage for this morning. This morning's message is found in Psalm 118. This message is a continuation of a series uh, that we have started uh, sometime back in the Psalms, in the Psalter, the the book um, of Psalms in the Bible. And the book of the Psalms in the Bible is to teach us and train us and transform us into people of prayer. We looked at when prayer and then what prayer, if you will. The when, we started in the morning, we looked at the evening, and then the what We looked at uh, confessions. These are types of prayers that we find all over in the Psalms. We looked at lament, a great message on um, how to grieve, how to share your tears before the Lord. Pain and perplexity are all over the Psalter, and the Lord in His graciousness gives us words to use to express that pain or perplexity in the midst of trying and troubled times. Today we're going to do another type of prayer, and we're calling this Thanksgiving. And we chose Psalm 118 for our passage for this morning. The title of the message is, Give Thanks to the Lord. And we will find that in Psalm 118. So let's go ahead and stand. Um, I'll be preaching 29 verses, but I'm going to just read... Um, as we stand in reverence to God and His Word, and I will read for us uh, verses 1 through 4, and then continue on in the preaching down to verse 29. Psalm 118, verse 1 and following, we read, O give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say, His steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, 
His steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, His steadfast love endures forever. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So this morning's message is titled, Give Thanks to the Lord. You can see perhaps why I chose that as a title. Because the passage starts off with, give thanks to the Lord. It's really quite clear, quite simple, quite straightforward. It's give thanks to the Lord. And what we're going to see is that's the command. And the Lord in His graciousness does not need to give us rationale or reasons for obedience. He doesn't. He's the Creator He's the sustainer of life. He owns you. He owns me. He owns everything. And He can just state it. And we are to say, yes, your King, your Majesty. But He doesn't. Look at this. That's a whole book. Yes, there are commands in this book. Like, give thanks to the Lord. But then, all through this book, He gives us illustrations illuminations, he gives us descriptions, he gives us stories, he gives us poetry to talk about the the whys and the hows behind the whats. Give thanks to the Lord. And so this morning, we're going to see reasons or ways of giving thanks to the Lord. He doesn't just state it, give thanks to the Lord, but then he follows it up with a promise. And this promise, as we will watch Psalm 118 unfold before our eyes, is, is a, like a three-part promise, a three-fold promise, if you will. Give thanks to the Lord, and then he uses the little word for. A, a logical connector, right? It, it, it connects the command to something else. And we'll notice that that something else is a promise, A promise that is so big and so beautiful that it's it's got this threefold or three parts to it. So as I was working through Psalm 118 and noticing the flow of of the the thought and how I was going to, to preach it, I thought of an imagery. So I'd like to start with a picture and then I will give a principle and then I'll give the passage and I'll just start preaching. Does that sound good? Here's here's the picture that comes to my mind. A lotus. A lotus is a beautiful flower that normally is found in muddy waters of ponds or lakes. And it's kind of balled up and sitting there until the light of dawn. And as the sun comes over the horizon and begins to strike the lotus, it begins to unfold this beautiful flower. Petal by petal, it unfolds and opens as the sun begins to strike each of the petals. It's almost like the sun, in its warmth and light, caresses the lotus until it blossoms in its fullest. And it blossoms in its fullest in relation to the sun, the lotus. 
This passage is similar to that in that it's all balled up right now. All you hear it is, give thanks to the Lord. That's the command. That's the title. That's the topic. That's the command. But now we're going to go into this threefold promise. And we're going to see these petals begin to unfold before our eyes, opening up to right at the end, it's a full blossom because of the sun. Psalm 118, verse 1, give thanks to the Lord. And now here's the promise. Notice the word for. That's going to connect a demand to a promise. It says, for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. You see that in verse 1? So we are listening to a promise. And this promise is supposed to have access to our hearts to such a degree that we obey. We give thanks to the Lord. And so here it is. God's goodness invigorates Christian thankfulness. What I tried to do in 40 minutes to put it in five words, because I'm really working on brevity and clarity, is here are my five words. God's goodness, you see that in verse 1? Invigorates. So as I read and preach and pray, may God's Spirit use His words to invigorate Christian thankfulness. And so, give thanks to the Lord because or for His steadfast love endures forever. There's the first petal that's just starting to come out in in verse 1. He says the, the command, and now here's the promise. His steadfast love endures or prevails forever. Now, the steadfast love of the Lord, you'll see that a lot in the Old Testament. Some of you have studied it, and you've heard lectures on it or preachers talk about it, and it's the word chesed. It's a marvelous word and concept in the Old Testament. It's it's this covenant love akin to, perhaps, a, a, a marital fidelity. That would be a good analogy. It falls miserably short to his covenant love. But he, he loves us based on a promise and holds his faithfulness and fidelity to that promise. He will never renege. He will never break a promise. And that's the steadfast love of the Lord. It prevails. It endures forever. That's the promise this morning. That is to incite, awaken, invigorate our soul. That gives rise to words coming out of our mouth of, I thank you. But the Bible says that this isn't just over a meal, though that's a good time to give thanks. This isn't just bedtime, though that's a good time to give thanks to the Lord. Philippians 2 says, do all things without grumbling or complaining. Mm, okay, all things? Mm-hmm. Or 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 18. In all circumstances, 
Oh, come on. Give thanks to the Lord. Yeah. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. That's, that's pretty clear. So when you're out on 75 in traffic, when you're stopped on 75 in traffic, when you're looking over a sink filled with dirty dishes or laundry that is continuing to grow or deadlines at work or unreasonable expectations, whether at home or abroad, and you just feel the weight, (laughs) give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His steadfast love endures forever. So I want to take uh, three observations on thanksgiving, and then we'll launch off into this threefold promise. You'll see them in verses 1 through 4. First observation of thanksgiving is, It is a command. This is non-negotiable. He says it clearly. He says it succinctly. I don't think we need to elaborate on its definition. It's give thanks to the Lord. Number one, it is a command. Number two, thanksgiving is attached to who God is, not what God does. Do you see that? Give thanks to the Lord for, here's his essence. If you want to look at his heart, look at verse 1. Here he is. And as a result of who he is, give thanks to the Lord. Oh, certainly he out of his heart pours matchless gifts, a variety of gifts, ongoing gifts to his children, ultimately in his son. Certainly when he gives, but this one starts off with, Thanksgiving is connected to, grounded in, who he is, not what he does. And the last observation I'd like to make is verses 2 through 4. And Thanksgiving is heard in community. It's heard in a gathering that is both unified and diversified. Do you see that in there? So here's the, the leader. And he's talking to a congregation, a cantor to the congregation, a worship leader to the worshipers. And he says, O Israel, give thanks to the Lord. Or, O Israel, say, His steadfast love endures forever. And they are to say that. And then it goes into verse 3. O house of Aaron, say, His steadfast love endures forever. And let those who fear. There's three groups, it appears, that are surfacing here. And they're all unified under one creed. They are to say one thing. They are to agree with one thing. What is it? His steadfast love endures forever. I hope you don't get bored hearing that phrase this morning. And so that snaps over these three diversified groups and holds them together under one creed. They are unified. But then there's diversification in this group, right? says, all Israel. And I think what he means by that is common, ordinary Israelites. Look to the left, look to the right. You, you see the group today. It's, it's just common, ordinary people like us. We are to say, this is our creed, his steadfast love endures forever. And then it goes into uh, the house of Aaron. We'll call these the, 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 the priestly people. We'll call these more the spiritual leaders. They are to 
say, His steadfast love endures forever. His steadfast love endures forever. That's the creed. And then you have this unique group called those who fear Yahweh. Who are they? Look into the Old Testament, and you can, you can follow this little thread through the Old Testament. It doesn't happen often, but it's there. It's this group of Gentiles that looks at the Israelites and says, I want your God. I want your people. And they adhere to the Israelites. You'll see them coming out of the Exodus in, in Exodus, you'll, you'll see him in numbers a little bit. You'll see him just peppered throughout the Old Testament. I think what he's saying here is, is Hebrew, Israelite, Jew, Gentile, leader, learner, they're just all mixed together and unified in this creed. And this whole group, out of this group comes, give thanks to the Lord. Those are three observations regarding what we're to do. Thanks. Give thanks to the Lord. Now, here's this threefold promise that is to incite, invigorate, strengthen, stimulate, awaken our hearts that we truly will give thanks even in all circumstances. The first of the, uh, the points or the petals or the folds of this promise is His steadfast love endures forever. But if we're not careful, that's just going to be mere theology for some of you. If we're not careful, that will be abstract. It will be way up and way out, and you go, oh, okay. But then verse 5, it starts shifting. Look at the pronouns. I, my, me. Five through nine, they're everywhere. And here's the psalmist saying something about the steadfast love endures forever. In the midst of distress, in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of destruction, he's saying something about I'm rescued and I'm loved by the steadfast love endures forever. It says in verse 5, Out of my distress I called to the Lord, and the Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side, I will not fear. What can man do to me. The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. It is better. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. Here's the second unfolding of this promise, this matchless promise, hesed or steadfast love that endures forever, that his steadfast love endures forever to us right? To, to us. It's personal. It comes right down into ordinary people's lives. We see that with the psalmist. He's taken this concept, and then he sees it operating in his own life. <clears throat> and he gives thanks to the Lord as he's called out in distress, and he has been rescued, and he has been helped. Timeless love, we could say, is one through four, and then timely help five through nine, it comes down and it walks and it gets into our lives. Now, I know I'm on sure footing because as I was looking at this passage, New Testament writers use Psalm 118 a lot. They're looking back through the cross, through the redemption of Jesus Christ with this blazing bright light on the shadow lands of the Old Testament and they're seeing it pretty clearly. And the writer of Hebrews uses verse 6. 
The writer of Hebrews, if you've, if you've read Hebrews, you know that he's very theological. And he's, he's got this grand theology, chapters 1 through 12. And then he turns the corner in chapter 13 and he talks to the community. Talks to Veritas in very practical ways. And he, he says, watch over your heart. Watch over your purity. Be content. Be hospitable amongst yourselves. And then he uses the Old Testament and he says, For it is written, the Lord will never leave you or forsake you. What a covenant promise that is. And he takes it to heart and he says, Because he'll never leave you, you'll be transformed and you'll be a community like this. And then in verse 6 of Hebrews 6, uh, 13, he says, So... Now he's going to, it's an inference. He's going to summarize this. He says, so, and then he quotes this verse. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear what can man do to me. So the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever to us. Very ordinary people. Chases away the fear, brings forth gratitude, and we move out supernaturally. That's powerful That's powerful, and that's this unfolding promise before us to stimulate our hearts that we will be thankful in all circumstances. Then I continue to read, thinking that it was just going to be the ordinary Israelite or the ordinary psalmist and just moving it around. And then I hit verse 10, 11, and 12, and 13. Listen to what he says as he goes on. He says, verse 10, All nations surrounded me. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me, surrounded me on every side. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me like bees. They went out like a fire among thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. I was pushed hard so that I was falling, but the Lord helped me. Who's that? I've got enemies. I've got people who are not my fans. But nations? I I, I don't think so. I mean, the closest to that is when the kids were small. We had all four in in one room. And they they amassed their argument to Papa that we want to go to King's Island. And out they came and they were surrounding me. And that's about the biggest among the nations came at me. I mean, I can't identify who, who is this. It sounds like a king. It sounds like a king who has gone through distress, a suffering king that has gone out and, 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 and went to war, and he has the name of the Lord upon him as his authority, and he has his army, and he's pushing back the enemies, and he's slaying those who would hurt his people. And then, and then he's doing this not on his own behalf or for himself, but he does it for ordinary common people like you and me. It could be King David, not for sure, it doesn't say. A thousand B.C., David comes out and, and uh, pushes back the Philistines and the Amorites and the 
Hittites, and it's all for his people, and you can read about that in 1 Samuel, and they're, they're dancing with joy because their king has triumphed victoriously over the enemy. Could be, or, or Jehu in 820 B.C., he goes out and he smears the enemies, and you see this triumph coming back in, and they're hailing him as the king, and I don't know, but it sounds like a king, doesn't it? And, and then you read on, and it gets a little wobbly, and you go, well, now who's he talking about? Look at verse 14. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord exalts. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. Now, what's that echo about? Where, where do you go to hear that? Out from the Red Sea. Out from the oppression of the Egyptians. Out from Pharaoh's rule comes Moses with about two million behind him. And they're going through the Red Sea. And they get out on the other side on, on the bank. And they look at the judgment of the Lord falling on the enemies. And there's victory for God's people through a leader whose name is Moses. And so Moses calls this his song. And he says, I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In your greatness, out of your majesty, you triumph victoriously. So, so now we've got this, this king who's out there triumphing over the enemies, suffering. He's suffering. He's crying out for help. The Lord is his salvation. He rescues him out of this danger. He was pushed so hard that he's falling, yet the Lord is his helper. And then it shifts over to a, a, a Moses-like kind of figure. And, and it's coming out of Egypt, out of bondage and slavery and who is this the second fold of this massive promise steadfast love of the lord endures forever to us now starts looking a little differently what's that third petal that's going to fall what's this whole psalm about that will have this this Beautiful blossom in its fullest, right before the sun. Well, we pick it up and we continue to read. It says in verse 17, I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death. So, so we have this spiritual military leader who's undergone almost death, or, or maybe, I don't know, death itself, but came out of it for his people. <laughs> Have you ever heard a story of such a thing like that? We've got to read on, and, and it says in verse 19, 
Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. And so now this is like a coronation. This is a celebration. This king-like, Moses-like figure who has triumphed victoriously over enemies through suffering and perhaps even death or something happened there, is now going into the city, going into the temple with his entourage and his people celebrating. What? That's what it says. And then in verse 22, we get really, really close to identity. It says the stone, the stone that the builders rejected has become the corner stone. I want you to start writing these things down now. Isaiah twenty-eight sixteen. Isaiah twenty-eight sixteen. Matthew twenty-one forty-two. Matthew twenty-one forty-two. Ephesians chapter two, verse twenty. Ephesians two, verse twenty. First. Peter chapter 2 verse 6 First Peter chapter 2 verse 6 and then Peter 30 years prior to writing first Peter after Pentecost filled with the spirit delivers his message to the Sadducees the Pharisees the elders the builders of the temple and he says this this Jesus the the one that you crucified this Jesus the one who came up out of the grave this Jesus who ascended to the right hand of the majesty on high who is glorified who is the king over our lives who rules and reigns and now is building the new temple the God's dwelling place among people this Jesus he says, is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. Rejected does not mean the door was slammed in his face. Rejected means he was crucified brutally and stuck into a grave lifeless, and then he becomes. That's resurrection terminology. He becomes a cornerstone, a precious, indispensable stone that is measure, that measures all the other stones in this foundation of this new temple that continues to grow, if you read Ephesians 2.20, this stone becomes the precious stone, the cornerstone, the beginning of the kingdom of God, the beginning of the new temple. This Jesus, Psalm 118, yeah, read on. Verse 23, this is the Lord's doing. All that I just said, He's hearkening to. This is the Lord's doing. It's marvelous in our sight. This is the day that the Lord has made. Not necessarily March 24th, 
though that's true. But this day, this eschatological, redemptive, historical, beautiful reality of Jesus' resurrection, this day is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And then it breaks off. Notice, save us. Or if if you want the, the Hebrew term, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Where have we heard that story from? Right before, a week before, Jesus stretched out his arms and was brutally murdered on the cross. He says to his disciples, go get me a colt. A colt no one's ever ridden on. Bring, bring the colt. And he sits down on the colt. And he starts going into the city of Jerusalem. And they're taking their cloaks off and they're bringing out palm branches and they're laying them out. What is this? It's called messianic drama. What? Yeah, he's reenacting Psalm 118 because he knows those who have ears to hear will hear. Those who have eyes to see will see. And they start connecting it like you're starting to this morning. Here comes the Davidic king, the long-awaited Messiah, the suffering Messiah who comes to rid them of oppression. Not just the oppression from the Egyptians and Pharaoh. Not just the oppressions from the Assyrians or the Babylonians. Not just in the first century, this was big, not just the oppression of Caesar and Rome. It's not a physical government. He is coming in to defeat Satan. He's coming in to defeat our sin. He's going to obliterate our enemies by coming in on a colt and being slaughtered. The suffering Messiah. The third petal now that just begins to open up due to the sun's rays, warm, sharp, sweet rays hitting the Flower, the blossoming of Psalm 118. Here it is. Give thanks to the Lord. His steadfast love endures forever. To us. In Jesus Christ. He is the locus. He is the focal point. He is central to salvation. He is salvation. And Palm Sunday celebrates the king's arrival. So is that God's goodness that stimulates and strengthens and invigorates the heart necessary to give thanks to the Lord in our prayer life in all circumstances? Here's the application. It will last 15 seconds from my voice. I pray I pray that in my life and Lisa's life and Kara's life, my family, I pray that in my family here at Veritas, it will not just last for 15 seconds. It will go into 15 minutes, 15 days, 15 months, 15 years. It just keeps on going. You'll find it in verses 28 and 29. He now shifts to a singular voice, a personal voice back to ordinary people like you and me. 
And it closes like this. You are my God. And I, I will give thanks to you. You're my God and I extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Let's pray. Gracious one, our heavenly, holy, and happy Father, we thank you for delivering your Son for our salvation. We thank you, O precious one, that you have opened our eyes to see this type of drama as a reality. This is the storyline into which we place ourselves and live and move and have our being. We thank you for this deliverance. We thank you for this security. We thank you that we can thank you in the midst of every and all circumstances as you guide and lead us to the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ in the new heavens and new earth. Oh, how We thank you for today. Thank you for this passage. Thank you for this time. And we just ask that you will weave it into our lives in such a way that we will look like that lotus, that flower. As the sun's rays strike us, may our petals unfold. Unfold the beauty of what you're doing in our life through thanksgiving. And all of God's people said, Amen.